Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Behold, he's in the shopping mall, go not forth. Behold, he's in that pretty little box, believe it not. I was strolling around Washington, D.C. during a business trip this week and driving around Atlanta when I was back home, I couldn't help but see the signs of Christmas. The mall that we popped into was decked to the nines in light and glittery ribbon. A home had their curtains drawn open to already reveal the lighted, presumably plastic Christmas tree. A restaurant was heavily draped in icicle light. And I'm sure you've seen the signs, too. There's no one in the world who should not know that Christmas is coming. If you're like me, you probably get pretty annoyed by all. After all, it's not even Thanksgiving. And for us who follow the traditional church year, this Christmas season doesn't even begin until Christmas Day. It lasts for 12 days until Epiphany arrives. We have the entire season of Advent before us, which is supposed to be a quiet time to reflect on the greatest gift mankind has or will ever receive. God became man to save us. Instead, it will be filled with an overabundance of sights, smells, and sounds. You'll have to decide between conflicting holiday parties. And when one puts it that way, all of this, let's just call it stuff, seems a little ridiculous. And on the other hand, for most of our society, this, for better or worse, is their only real interaction with Christ all year. It is for those who do not sit in these pews or other churches' pews, by knowing when it will start every year, it's like lightning coming out of the east. Some choose to fully engage in it, falling for the allure of the Antichrist, that Christmas is about buying more stuff, trying to make other people happy with stuff, spending time with family, watching football, etc. As usual, don't get me wrong, I love to spend time with my family around the holidays, and everybody knows I enjoy watching a good football game. But we cannot let those things become Christmas for us. Those who do not engage fully in this season are often more like us Christians, annoyed by the affair. They are perhaps annoyed for a different reason, that being that Christmas has been imposed on them, but annoyed nevertheless, since we have our holiday parties instead of our Christmas parties. Thus it seems like no one but the retailers is actually happy with Christmas, and even if they are generally satisfied with it, we all know they will never be happy, because they always want more. So if you allow me to be so cliche, how do we put the Christ back in Christmas? Well, perhaps we can start with today's lectionary passage. But it's a tough passage. This is not a passage I see on bumper stickers or posted on refrigerators. Definitely not one I expect to see cross-stitched and hung over the mantle this year. The gift you wish you could return. But this is an ugly Christmas sweater you will not be allowed to do so with. Instead, you'll have to wear it at least for a picture or two, but let's dig in. It's easy to take these passages and project them into the future. I don't know about you, but I like to do that. Perhaps we'll just put that ugly sweater back in the box in the corner, and nobody will make us even put it on. And yet we're not the first to struggle with these words. It was hard for even the disciples, because they thought Jesus was literally coming back during their lifetimes when he said, Truly, I say to you that not one of this generation will have passed away until all these things have taken place. But then people started to die. Good people fell asleep in the Lord. 
they realized that they had misunderstood the mystery of Jesus' prophecies. In fact, if you read this whole chapter, you'll see there's a lot of shifting around between various times and places. It's quite hard to understand exactly what and when Jesus is talking about in any given phrase. I also think that many passages that we read in the Bible are multi-layered. You can and moreover you should read this passage as talking about things that have already happened, are happening now, and will happen in the future. From the perspective of the past, let's take Jesus' words and apply them to his passion crucifixion. Wherever the body is, there the eagles or vultures will be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the powers of heaven will be shaken. But Matthew himself, who we just read from, will later in this same book, the same gospel, tell us that there was darkness all over the land at Jesus' crucifixion, and that the curtain of the temple was torn, and that the earth shook. In some sense, the temple was destroyed by Jesus' sacrifice, and the sacrifice of sacrifices was offered on the cross. Then Matthew says in our gospel passage, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In Jesus' resurrection and ascension, we see the fulfillment of this passage. And through Jesus's, uh, and then through the sending out of his angels, remember that that also just means messenger, not necessarily being the spiritual type case, it may mean the apostles who were sent to gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Here we see that the apostles will conquer all the nations by Christianity where no earthly king is Lord but Jesus. And so I think we can and should, in one sense, see this passage as already fulfilled. From the perspective of the future, we see in this passage the second advent, the second coming of Christ, the moment of dread judgment. The sun and moon and stars are truly darkened, for they will look as black as coal in comparison to the light of Christ. Here the mourning of all nations is for those for whom the Lord has prepared his kingdom as well as for those who do not, will not experience it. For in this light, everything will be made manifest. Not only all the unspeakable evils that we have done to God and to our fellow man, but the minuscule things that we have done in comparison to show real love to God and our neighbor. This is such a scary thought. And it doesn't just scare us. It scared St. John Chrysostom. Let's see what he says about this passage. Quoting John Chrysostom, he says, Woe is me for that fearful day, for though we ought to rejoice when we hear these things, we feel pain and are dejected, and our countenance is sad. Or is it only I that feel thus? And do you rejoice at the hearing of these things? For upon me, at least, there comes a kind of shudder when these things are said. And I lament bitterly and groan from the very depth of my heart, for I have no part in these things. But in those that are spoken afterwards, that are said to the unprepared virgins, unto him that buried the talents he had received, unto the wicked servant. For this cause I weep, to think from what glory we are to be cast out, from what hope of blessings, and this perpetually and forever, to spare ourselves a little labor. Indeed, and as always more eloquent than I could ever be. And here's where I want to bring us back to the meaning. Bring back the meaning to the present. We must think about how we must not become complacent in moving this passage into the indefinite future, where it will be all too easy to forget about it. But to interpret it as happening at this very moment, very second. 
At this moment, some might argue that at more than any other time, false Christs surround us. And I note that the word here in Greek is not antichrist, but pseudo-Christ. Pseudo means false, right? But not in the sense of an imposter, like pseudoscience. Pseudoscience is false science, but it looks good. It looks real. It looks believable. And another example we get to hear about a lot today is so-called fake news. It looks like the real news, but it's not. We also live in an age and place of such riches, but therein lies the very dangerous imposter we face. No matter how poor any of us are, we live in a life of luxury compared to people in many other parts of the world and in other times. We let the pseudo-Christ of the comfort those riches provide to us hide from ourselves how spiritually poor we are. And yet we've been given not only material goods, but also an abundance of riches with respect to knowledge and the opportunity to exercise our spiritual gifts without any fear of real persecution in this country. When, when we put our faith in the pseudo-Christ of modern health and medicine, it makes it all too easy to believe that we will most likely be granted some time to grow old before we die and have an opportunity to tidy up our lives rather than admit the all-too-real truth that we could be taken away at any moment, including this one. We put our faith in the pseudo-Christ of made-to-order spirituality, presumptively believing that we know what is right, rather than submitting to the church established by Christ and sustained by his headship and the vital breath of the Holy Spirit. We put our faith only in the pseudo-buddy Jesus, rather than into his complete fullness, man, brother, and friend, but also all holy, all love, all light, eternal and beyond any description. It is that fullness of the God-man that will return one day when we encounter him face to face. Not the false, but the real Christ. Our giving over to all the pseudo-Christ will be evident, and that itself will be our judgment, the cause of our mourning. In the Eucharist, we routinely encounter Christ, and in that encounter we see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven as he comes down to us with power, great glory, transforming bread and wine into his very presence, an encounter with the living God. That's why we must prepare ourselves diligently to self-examination, fasting, confession to God, and most importantly, constant repentance. We must turn away, repent, and reject all of those pseudo-Christs. We must submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, and this is no easy task. But it is our only task. Let's listen to what St. John Chrysostom had to say about this. For this cause I weep, to think from what glory we are to be cast out, from what hope of blessings, and this perpetually and forever, to spare ourselves a little labor. For if indeed this were a great toil and a grievous law, we ought even so to do all things. Nevertheless, many of the remiss would seem to at least have some pretext, a poor pretext indeed, Yet would they seem to have some, that the toil was great, and the time endless, and the burden intolerable. But now we can put forward no such objection. Which circumstance most of all will gnaw us no less than hell at that time, when for want of a slight endeavor and a little toil, we shall have lost heaven and the unspeakable blessing. For both the time is short and the labor small, and yet we faint, Versapine. Thou strivest on earth, and the crown is in heaven. Thou art punished of men, and art honored of God. The race is for two days, and the reward for endless ages. 
The struggle is in an incorruptible body. The rewards in an incorruptible. And apart from these things, we should consider another point also. That even if we do not choose to suffer any of the things that are painful for Christ's sake, we must in other ways most assuredly endure them. For though you will not have died for Christ, you will be immortal. For though you will not have cast away your riches for Christ, you will go away without them. These things he requires of you, which although he does not need them, you will have to give up, because you are mortal. He wills you to do it by your own choice, which you must do by necessity. So much only he requires to be added, that it be done for his sake. Since these things befall men and pass away, cometh to pass of natural necessity. See how easy the conflict is? What it is altogether necessary for thee to suffer, that you simply choose to suffer it for my sake. Let only this be added, and I am satisfied with your obedience. The gold which you intend to lend to another, this lend to me, both at more profit and in greater security. Your body, wherewith you are going to war for another, make it war for me. For indeed I surpass your toils with recompenses and in the most abundant excess. Yet you and all other matters prefers him that gives thee more as well in loans as in marketing and in warfare. But Christ alone, when giving more, and infinitely more than all, you do not receive. And what is this so great hostility? What is this so great enmity? Where will there be any excuse or defense left for you? when the reasons for which you prefer man to man avail not to induce you to prefer God to man. End of quote. So I urge you, myself included, to not only think about the future judgment, or as it is all too easy not to think about the future judgment, but instead to accept the ever-present judgment that we accepted by mystically uniting ourselves with Christ's sufferings and death by our baptism and to avail ourselves of the opportunities Christ has provided through his church to experience his judgment here and now. Through constant acknowledgement of our failings with respect to loving God and our neighbor with our whole heart and body and soul and mind. By confessing and acknowledging our sins, we will be forgiven. By partaking in the Eucharist, we will be fed and strengthened by the very divine. By repentance, we turn away from the pseudo and embrace the genuine. In fact, the only thing that's real. Let these acts of repentance in our encounter with God and the Eucharist always, in part, be a mini version of the dread judgment to come. Keep that perspective, it will be far easier to co suffer with Christ in this life as we are called to do, to stop being so selfish, and on this day, supposedly in celebration of love to really learn what it means to love, and to have hope that we will indeed, by God's grace, be very members and corporate of his mystical body, thereby be joined with him throughout eternity. Make this the present you give yourself this Christmas season. Do not forget to share this reason for the season with all of those around you. Be a light that outshines all the pseudo-Christ others see around them, and give them this boundless and life-giving present to all those in the name of the Father, and of the Son, Spirit. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.